0: This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. <clears throat> yeah. Some of you were here last week, you made a comment about this. Great job again. You guys never cease to amaze me. Well, welcome again. We're continuing on in our series on corporate worship. The slide is behind me. You see it says, worship gathered and sent. And in the past weeks, we've talked about a few things. And we've talked about what is worship. Uh, We've also talked about what happens when we gather as a church to worship. We've talked about what happens when we gather? How are we to engage corporate worship? And last week, we spent our time walking through the elements of corporate worship. And all of this was based on a, on a premise that when we gather together on Sunday mornings, we are engaging in covenant renewal. And we talked about uh, covenant is this interesting relationship where there's law and there's love. And we we pointed to marriage as an example that many of us see and participate in of a covenant. And so covenants are risky because unlike contracts, you you can't write loopholes into them. And it, it requires all of you, not just a part of you, it requires all of you. And we talked about how we've all probably seen or heard of a marriage at a certain year renewing their vows. And in that sense, they're not making new promises, but they are renewing promises that they made years ago. And for us, we said that when we talk about being in relationship with God, we're in a covenant relationship with him. And every week, we are renewing this covenant. God invites us, he calls us to this renewal ceremony. And when we walk through the certain elements, we we pointed back to what we would expect to happen when God enters into covenant relationship with people. And we pointed out from the scriptures that when God enters into a covenant relationship, he calls people to himself. He calls people out. He calls people out from, and he makes something new. And after he calls people, he then cleanses them because we are sinners. We need to be cleansed. And so God forgives us, and he pronounces that forgiveness over us. So he calls us, he cleanses us, us, and then he consecrates his people. You see, he doesn't just cleanse us and say, go over here, I have no Purpose for you now, but he actually consecrates us. He instructs us in the way we should walk. He instructs us in life in him. And we talked about in a corporate worship setting for us, that's why we hear from God's word. We need instructed after we are forgiven and after we are cleansed. And then we talked about last week the fact that in the Bible we see that God ratifies a covenant oftentimes with a meal. We may sign a dotted line. But in the Bible, we talk about the importance of a meal. So God invites us to a meal, and we talked about that being communion, that we actually commune with Jesus, and we'll get to that later. But we left off one thing last week. We mentioned it, and we said we'd come back to it this week, and that is the last C. So there's call, cleanse, consecrate, commune, and now commission. We understand what a commission is, Right? The idea of a boat in its maiden voyage, right? You you break the bottle and you have a commissioning ceremony. Or for those of you who are military families or are connected to anyone in the military, uh, you may be this person may be commissioned into service. They're giving they're they're given rules. They're given an, a mission to go on, and there is a service. Uh, sometimes in a church, you commission someone for a specific work. You may commission a missionary before you send them. Just recently, we sent the Swartzes as they go out from New City, and they go over to teach in Rwanda. So these are the types of things that we're used to. But it's important for us to realize that although there's a good and right place for all of these things, and there's even a good time to specifically commission people for specific things, like the Swartzes, as an example. Every week, every single week, not merely when we have something really big going on that week, not really when we feel like what we're about to do this week is important somehow, but every week, every single one of us is commissioned. Every single week, when the benediction is given, and we'll talk more about this, but that's when I come up and I raise my hands, and many of you open your hands to receive the blessing of the Lord. I, I will say, You are sent. And in that moment, what is happening is you are being commissioned. You are being sent with a purpose. You are being sent into every corner of God's world. 100% you are being sent to be a blessing. You see, what we see in the Bible is when God blesses his people, that's what benediction means. It means blessing. When God blesses his people, he blesses them to bless. We're not called uh, to receive God's blessing and to be a cul-de-sac or a container. You know what that is? The reason you want to buy a house on a cul-de-sac is because it's safe. Because when you drive in, there's no exit, right? So sometimes we treat our lives as though we receive the blessing of God and it's just for us. There's no exit. We're not a conduit. We're a cul-de-sac. Or we're not a conduit. Another way to say it is we're a container. Just fill up more and more and more but not to be a conduit. But in fact, the Bible teaches us that not only are we commissioned, but when we're commissioned, we are blessed to bless. We are to be a conduit. And so this morning, it's a little different because this is a transition in our sermon series. We're, we're moving from church-gathered to church-sent in the, in the coming weeks. And so this sermon itself is is a little different than the ones beforehand. It'll probably feel that way, but one of the ways that it's different is that I'm just going to simply go to our text and talk about what a priestly blessing was and what Jesus was doing at the ascension. I'm going to explain that to us, and then I'm going to ask us two questions, and that's it. So what is a priestly blessing? What is Jesus doing? And then I'm going to ask us two questions, okay? So that's where we're going. Uh, So again... God blesses his people to bless. And, and fourth and fifth graders, normally I give you an outline when you guys are gonna be in here, but that's all you have to do right now is take out your pen. That's it, that's the outline. God's people are blessed to bless. And if you write that down, I think Casey will give you 50, 50 cents a person afterwards. Whenever he goes, at the, a dollar? He said he would do a dollar. And for the rest of you who are taking notes, that's great too. That, that's all we're gonna talk about. God's people are blessed to bless, Okay? So here we go. Let's look at our text here, the end of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus leads the disciples out as far as Bethany, and it says, Lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. So in our day and age, the idea of blessing someone or blessing in general is pretty ambiguous. Even in the church, we don't exactly know what we mean when we pray God, uh, just bless her, or just bless him, or he's such a blessing, or bless his heart. We don't know what we mean when we say those things exactly. It's sort of ambiguous. And this morning, my goal is not to clear that all up for you, but it is to show you, hopefully, that what Jesus is doing in this blessing is not ambiguous. So when we do it, we are. But what Jesus is doing is not ambiguous. And to understand what Jesus is doing, we need to talk about what the priestly blessing was or the priestly benediction. Because I, I think, and many commentators would agree, that what Jesus is doing is he's giving a benediction. That's why he's raising his hands and he's blessing them. But what's the background? If you're, if you're reading this uh, in Luke's day or for us, how are we to understand the, the mind of the original readers? What would have happened in their hearts and minds when Jesus Done this. Either they were watching him do this or they were reading or hearing about it right after his ascension. I think no doubt what would have happened is their mind would have gone back to the Aaronic Blessing. Okay, and, and you know what the Aaronic Blessing is because if you've been here at New City, it's what I'd say every week: it's it's the blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then I say, you're sent in that peace. Go. Okay, this, this was happening all the way back in the Old Testament. right? That's where we get this from Numbers chapter six. And if we go back and we read what's happening in Numbers chapter six, it shows us that a blessing is not merely... Uh, a great way to end a worship service, sort of fancy. Like at the end, how else are we gonna end? Well, let's read Numbers six, right? It's not that, and it's not a prayer either. Sometimes it may seem like a prayer, right? Sometimes we may close our eyes and bow our heads. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but we're not praying when we say that. That's not what's happening. It's a pronouncement of a blessing, but what exactly is the pronouncement? What exactly was being pronounced in Numbers chapter six? So if we go back to Numbers chapter 6, I'm looking at it here. I have it in my notes. It starts off by saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. Now, even in our call to worship, it's a riff on, on the Aaronic blessing is what, is what the psalm was, was doing. Okay, so if you look back in your call to worship, it sounds very familiar in verse 1. Now, when God blesses, he gives a good harvest. That's actually, if you read to the end, that's what's happening. He gives a good harvest to them. But when he gives a good harvest, you see, it's not just for them. It's so that the nations would see that God, that God provides for his people. Okay, so sometimes we read, like in this psalm, that God gives a good harvest, and that's what blessing looks like. Sometimes it means peace, and the word peace is given. And that, this idea is not lack of conflict. It's actually wholeness. It's, it's blessing in all of life. But what the people mainly would have heard, and when I say mainly, I'm not trying to minimize the harvest. I'm not trying to minimize peace. What I'm trying to say is the culmination of blessing would have been God's presence. And so also the priest didn't just at random times walk out and say, I think it's time to bless these people and walk out and just do it any he wanted, walking down the street and just stop and be like, everyone gather around, let's do this blessing thing. There would have been a, a time and place that the Aaronic blessing would have been spoken or pronounced Over God's people. And it would have been in a liturgy and it would have happened after atonement was made for sins. And we'll come back to this in a minute, but the reason this is really important is atonement and blessing cannot be separated. Because if the culmination of blessing is God's presence, we can't enter into God's presence without having our sins forgiven. And so these people who would have received the Aaronic blessing, these people who would have heard Jesus give probably something like the Aaronic blessing when he raises his hands and blesses them, would have realized that what they were being blessed with was the promised presence of God. It goes on. So what happens when you have God's blessing or his presence? Well, he keeps you. And this would be protection, right? That God would keep you. Read Psalm 121, this a Psalm of Ascent, this this idea of God keeping his people. And so much so... That he would be like shade on their right hand, that not even the sun would strike them by day or the moon by night, that he'd be that close in keeping them. He would be like their shade. And then this idea of lifting the countenance upon you in this ironic blessing, the idea of a face shining upon you. We talked about this in the call to worship, that when God's face is shining upon them, if you read Psalm 80, verse three, seven and 19. It talks about when God's face shines on us, it's like a smiling face. It's it's a pleasure. It's It's a promise of God's good pleasure and his favor. And so all of these are things that happen when God's promised presence is with his people. And so that brings us back to this idea of when Jesus raises his hands, he promised his presence just like Aaron did. And when I raise my hands, God promises his presence through his word to us. You see, he would never send us out without his presence. And see, that was an amazing thing is that after God would make provision for people's sins through atonement, they then would be sent out with the promise that although you're being sent out, God has not left you. Although you're being sent out, God is still with you. And so this would only be done by the priest because that was the priest's role. The priest had two main functions, and both of them were intercessory, okay? So what that means is that the priest would go before God and the people, which, by the way, we'll talk about this in the weeks to come, but that means something very important to you and I since we are a royal priesthood. We're being sent out with a very specific purpose in Jesus Christ at the end of the service. We're being sent with a very specific commission, and we'll come back and talk about that in the weeks to come. But particularly, a priest offered two main intercessory activities to the people of God. One, they offered a sacrifice for sins, and two, they blessed the people. And the blessing always came after the sacrifice. Think about the word atonement. If, if people's sins is atoned for, Atonement is at one meant, right? All impediments are removed between you and God. If your sins have been atoned for, you now can come into the presence of God and God's presence can stay with you. And so uh, one commentator says this, without the priest's blessing, how did the believer know the sacrifice was accepted and that their sins were forgiven? The benediction was not an optional conclusion to the priest's activity. The benediction was a necessary conclusion to the atoning activity. In other words, it wasn't just a good add-on. It was necessary. It was to cap it off. It was to say, God has promised to accept this, and he's promised that because he's accepted this atonement, his presence will stay with you. His presence will be with you. So that's some of the background of the blessing of why God's people would have found it a comfort to be blessed in this way. And now, hopefully, that will give us a little bit of insight into what Jesus is doing. So what is Jesus doing here? I've already said, I think that he's doing, he's performing a priestly blessing by raising his hands. I've told us what the priestly blessing meant to the people of God. Now, what is Jesus doing? There are some weeks in sermon prep. Well, first of all, let me say what happens every week. Every week for me, God changes me. Something happens, and sometimes it feels like one degree. And then there are other weeks where I learn something where the needle, instead of doing this, kind of does this. And for me, this was one of those weeks where the needle sort of went like this, moved a lot. And it was in this idea of, of being reminded that every single word in the scriptures is there for a reason. That the, the, the authors, being inspired, carrying, carried along by the Holy Spirit, had intention. And I was reminded this week of, of Luke, the writer of this gospel, his careful attention and what he's trying to do, what he's trying to teach us. You see, we can learn some about what Jesus is doing at the end of Luke's gospel by seeing where Luke started his gospel. If you remember where Luke's gospel starts, Chapter 2 is the Christmas story, right? That's where we often read. We go to Luke chapter 2 and read the Christmas story. Chapter 1 is this uh, story of John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah and Mary. And if you remember, John the Baptist's dad was a priest. And so he would do the types of functions that I mentioned. He would uh, be an intercessory uh, servant of the Lord before the people of God by offering sacrifices and by giving benedictions. Well, at the beginning in chapter 2, he's about to do a priestly service, the last thing, which is to light incense. And this incense is to be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now, when he goes in, the people are praying for him outside because they know this is dangerous. Something might happen. He might die if he doesn't do this correctly. Well, what happens is when he lights the incense, an angel appears to him, Gabriel. And Gabriel tells him that although he's old in age, both he and his wife, that they will, she will conceive a child, and it will be John the Baptist. And he tells him about this. Well, being old, Zechariah says, well, how will I know? I mean, this is so improbable. How will I know? And the angel says, oh, I'll give you a sign if that's what you want. You won't be able to talk from now until the baby's born, so you're mute now. And in fact, in that moment, he's mute. He steps out, the people see his face, they see something happen, and they can make out that he can't speak. So if you're you're reading this, what you're expecting Zechariah to do is to come out and give the benediction. That was what was next in the liturgy, to bless the people, to send them out with God's blessing and presence. But he comes out and he cannot speak. So therefore, you have this ominous reality, as one commentator put it, that if you know the liturgy, you know it was unfinished. The liturgy wasn't complete. And you've been waiting for this. You've been waiting for the blessing of God to be pronounced over you. Then Luke goes straight to the birth of Jesus. And then we see all of the gospel of Luke. And then where Luke begins with an unfinished liturgy. Where does Luke end? Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. You see, where, where Zechariah left in an unfinished liturgy, Jesus completed the liturgy. Jesus fulfilled the liturgy. Not just Zechariah's unfinished, but the future promise. Because remember, a blessing always comes after an atonement. A blessing always comes after a sacrifice for sins. And what did Jesus just do? He sacrificed himself. He was the perfect sacrifice. And now he is the great high priest who pronounces blessing over his people perfectly and conclusively. But also, if you're a Jewish reader or someone who knew a lot of the Jewish mindset like Luke, there would also be an ominous reality in this thing. Because normally what happens is the priest stays to minister before the people of God, with God. But he sends the people. But here the people stay and the priest leaves. Jesus leaves. So that would be a little ominous. But we understand that Jesus left to do something else. You see, on this side of redemptive history, we cannot separate the commission of God. We cannot separate the benediction of God. We cannot separate the sending of God from the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus left to send his perfect, complete presence. What does he say at the end of Matthew? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So you see, when we come to the end of a service and we've been called by God, we've been cleansed, we've been forgiven, we've been instructed, we've communed with God, we then are sent out with the promised presence of God, with the Spirit. You see, it's not just a commission. It is that. But it's also a Co-mission. See, the prefix co- means with. And the blessing of God is the presence of God. We see at the beginning of Luke, when God blesses Mary and the child, it says that he is with Mary and the child. This idea of not only commissioning, but co-mission, put a dash, co-dash mission. You see, not only are we being sent with the spirit of God, we're being sent out to be on mission with God. We are co-laborers with God in every area of our life. And so this is the idea of not only are we blessed with the presence of God, the perfect presence, now that Jesus has fulfilled the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is our high priest who pronounced blessing and presence over us, and then the spirit falls at Pentecost. And now all of us who believe are indwelt with the spirit. But you see, it's not just for us. It's for the nations, and it always has been. If you have your worship folder, go to the front. I forgot mine, but I don't need one. Go to the front, the call to worship. And we see that there's this, this riff on the Aaronic blessing. And look what it says. There's this phrase, so that. May, may God's people, paraphrasing, may God's people receive God's blessing. So that, what does it say? Someone read it out. It's okay, really. Earth, say it again louder. So that your way may be known on earth, your saving power for all nations. You see, from the very beginning, when God first calls the people out to bless them with Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm blessing you and your descendants so that you would be a vehicle of blessing to the world. This idea of the priest blessing God's people with his presence has always been so that the nations would see the presence of God and come to believe in that God. And so for us, the idea of the priestly benediction was, is held out as a hope not only for us, but for the world. So, two questions. First, do you know that you are sent? Now, I know you know because I just told you, but do you know that you are sent? A commission is to be sent as a particular group of people with a purpose and function. And I think that some of us think that some people are more sent than others, So the fourth and fifth graders probably think that their parents are more sent than they are because their parents go to work and they go to school, but that's not true. God sends you wherever you go, even to school with your classmates. God has sent you there. For us, some of you think that I'm more sent than you are because I'm a pastor. It's not true. It's a different sending, but it's not more of a sending. Every single one of us, when we're commissioned, we are sent 100%. Every aspect of your life, your whole life, you are sent. Your thoughts, your relationships, your job, your interactions with your neighbors, you are 100% sent, 100% of the time. And that's what we're gonna talk about in the coming weeks, more in detail. There's a story that I thought of this week when I, I thought about all of us, even I say that, and there's a part of me that still kind of thinks that other, people, other people's role, other people's sentness is more important than mine, or that mine is more important than theirs. And when I lived in California, one of the, one of the, the, the better friends that I made in terms of deep relationship uh, was a friend of mine who's in the military. He, he's a Navy SEAL, still is. He's just a couple years older than me. And uh, it took me weeks to figure this out. I just knew he was in the Navy, I didn't know what he did. And of course, once I figured that out, I was like, you know, whoa. I feel safer now, <laughs> wherever we are. And one night we went out uh, to get some food. And we were sitting there at the bar. And we were just hanging out and talking. And I'm asking him all these questions and uh, about what he does, and can he tell me any stories? And I just realized, like, he's enjoying the company, but he's not getting really excited about the opportunity to tell me really cool war stories. He's just, he's being polite, and we're getting to know each other. That's not all we talked about. But I remember at one point, um, he looked at me, and he said, well, you know that I'm not any important, any more important than, than anyone else, like the cook on, on the ship, or... And he he said some other things, more technical language. I can't remember. He probably didn't call it a ship, but whatever it's called. He said, you know, I'm not any more important than them. And then he turned and he said, like, look at this. He said, look at this waitress right here. He's like, I can never do what she does. And she's excellent. She's doing an excellent job. And as I'm watching him, genuine, he's being very genuine. And, And there were two other Navy SEALs in our church too. And they were all this way. They were all super humble. They, they, they didn't think of themselves as a big deal. If anything, they thought of themselves as chief servants. It was incredible to watch. And I, I, when, I, when I read the Apostle Paul, when he talks about all of us being a body, and so there's not one part of the body that's more important than another. And just because I have a more visible role than many of you, it doesn't make my role more important than you. If I'm a mouth and someone else is an ear or a toe, I'm no more important. And I go back and I think about my friend, in the conversation. And he might as well just said, I am no more sent than the cook. I am no more sent than the person who is packing my parachutes. We all matter. We are all doing our job. We've all been commissioned in the same service. Do you know you're sent? We'll keep talking about this. And the last question is, Do you know you are sent with God? So I've already talked about this, this co-prefix, meaning with. And so we are on mission with him. And we're on mission with him, not in certain areas of our life, but in every area of our life. We're not just on mission. We're not just sent, but we're sent with God. And, And we're in this competition with ourselves, I think, sometimes to make certain aspects of our life more important than others when God is very concerned with redeeming you. Like you, not a part of you, not some of you, but all of you. Because when he redeems you, he redeems you. And it's mysterious. I don't know how it all works, but I know that it's true. And so when you're sent out, In just a couple of minutes, I want you to realize that you are sent and you are sent with God, that I am sent and I am sent with God. And I think that sometimes we don't think that's enough. We don't think being with God is enough. I think sometimes we think, well, before I can be on mission with God, I need more information. I need some more thoughts. I need some more ideas. I need some more teaching. And that's all really good. That, that's why we have instruction. Because we do need that. But, but ultimately, we have enough. We have enough. And when we're sent, we're not lacking information. But if we are attentive to where God has placed us and who he has placed in front of us and where we are going to be tomorrow morning, if we could line everyone up and just have a moment called, at this time tomorrow morning, and everyone explained where they're gonna be at this time tomorrow morning, I could look you in the eye and say, God sent you there. Think about where you're gonna be tomorrow morning. God's sending you there, and he's with you. He's with you wherever you're gonna be, making the kids lunch, dropping the kids off, in a meeting, on the way to work. He's with you. So we don't need more information. We're sent always, 100% of the time. I think some of us think if we just had a different status, we could be more effective in our sentness, right? So, of course, the status of, if I were a preacher, maybe people would listen to me. I assure you, it doesn't matter. Okay, People aren't impressed when they find out what I am. In fact, they usually shut down when they find out I'm, I'm a pastor, but maybe not for you. So, in that sense, to be ordained isn't gonna help you be more effective in the mission God has given you because he's commissioned you to be there wherever you are. You don't need a new status. Another way we t- tend to think about status is if I, was just, if I owned the company I worked in, somehow I could be more fruitful day in and day out. Well, I don't, that's not true. Or if I was the boss, then maybe people would listen to me. Or sometimes we think because I'm the boss, I have to be careful. And maybe all that's true in some, in some regards. But what we do know is true is that you already, I already have the status that I need to be sent by God. And that is to be a child of God in Jesus Christ. And when I am enlisted in union with Christ, I am commissioned in the service of Christ in every area of my life. Some people, sometimes we think we just need new strategies. We need better strategies to be effective in the mission of God. And strategies are really important. But first we have to understand that sentness precedes strategy. Like you are the strategy and then you can try to figure out how best to employ your resources, how best to employ your vocations. But it's the idea of new information. If, if I could just be more strategic, somehow I could be more effective in my sentness. Just open your eyes. Love your neighbor. Go to work. Do a good job. Open the door for someone. Open your mouth. How about this strategy? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then last, I think some of us mainly aren't too worried about the other S's that I mentioned. We're most concerned with safety. And I'm gonna get back to the idea of we want God's blessing, but we want to be a cul-de-sac, not a conduit. We want things to seem safe, And we don't want to take our blessing to bless others because it puts us in a place of vulnerability. You might not have the right answers. You might not sound smart. You might sound closed minded, in fact. You might sound bigoted. But if we embrace our sentness, we will be misunderstood. We will find ourselves in difficult situations. We will find ourselves in difficult conversations. We won't have all the answers. But what we will have is the presence of God. That's what we do have. And so that, like of old, that should comfort us. That wherever you are tomorrow morning, God is with you. Wherever you are tomorrow night, God is with you. And as we transition from church gathered to church sent, We had to start here. We had to start with the only power that we have in our sentness is the power that comes from the presence of God who's sending us. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that you have sent the Spirit, you sent the Son and the Spirit And we're grateful to be sent, but be sent with you, that not only you keep us, but your face shines upon us in Jesus Christ, and everywhere you send, every one of us matters to you, and we don't have to strive to reach a certain status to be more sent, but every one of us, no matter where we are, is sent. I pray that when we leave now that we would believe and experience your presence. Wherever we would be tomorrow morning, that in that tough meeting or in that nap time that is getting absolutely destroyed by a crying child, that we would experience your presence, that we would know that you are present, that we would know that we are sent. It's in Jesus' name.